The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. To the Brandon Peters Show for the summer of 1982 at 4D series. A week by week, look at the movies released during the summer that year. As always, along for that journey, trotting the globe, trying to make sure that these films belong in a museum. From Forbes, it's Scott Mendelson. Always a pleasure. And this episode, we'll be looking at July 9th through 11th weekend. Another light weekend. We have two movies. One we are bumping up a week. It's a re-release, so we could lighten the load for the next episode. So, And actually bulk up this one, because two weeks in a row, last week was just Secret of Nim, so we added Bambi from the week before to it. We pushed that off. This week, just one movie. Just one movie. But first, the news of the moment. It's the news of the moment. He is coming on and on and on. No slacking at all. And he could be on for that world record. David Markoff is pouring it on. It's a tremendous run. He's inside. He must get it. He's well inside. He smashed it. Wide open. He's taken the biggest bite out of it that we've ever seen in modern time. 13 minutes dead, 38. Scott, update. On July 5th, uh, the Challenger flies to Kennedy Space Center in via Ellington Air Force Base in Texas. So um, stay tuned, I guess. This yeah. is so dark, so dark, but it is... It is... Notable. Uh, July 7th, English athlete David Moorcroft beats Kenyan Henry Runo's 500-meter world record by nearly five seconds at 13.00.41 in Oslo, Norway. On July 8th, that old porn star John Holmes was back in the news, convicted of receiving stolen property. And uh, I hope he gets his life back together. Yes. Big, big one here, nerds. <laughs> Big one here, July 8th, the 15th San Diego Comic-Con International opens at Hotel San Diego, where it was probably actually about comic books. What a Uh, novel concept. What a novel concept. A Uh, graphic novel concept. Oh. Sorry. Uh, July 9th, Pan Am Boeing 727 crashes in Kenner Law, killing 153 people. Yeah, that's just kind of warming you up for the Challenger news coming. All right, on July 11th, the FIFA World Cup final, Santiago, Bernabeu, Madrid, Spain. Italy beats West Germany 3-1 to in front of 90,000. And uh, the deaths that happened this week, we lost Russell Thorson, a TV actor and radio actor, uh, Major League Baseball player Bob Johnson and American spy from World War II Virginia Hall passed away in this week. Birthdays this week. Actor Sophia Bush, like One Tree Hill and stuff, and that uh, everyone's favorite The Hitcher movie. Uh, rapper Cassidy and NFL tight end Chris Cooley, all born this week in 1982. That was the news of the moment. Jones is back 
pursued by Belloc. <laughs> Befriended by Sulla. Threatened by Toth. And loved by Marion. Some of them are heroes. Some of them are enemies. And all of them are returning this summer. They are all Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's the greatest adventure film of all time. Jones! I'm gonna blow up the Ark, Renee! And it will always be fun. Trust me. Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Great Adventure returns July 16th everywhere. All right. Our first film is a re-release. It actually would be re-released next week. But we're moving it here. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark, directed by Steven Spielberg, his second film of this summer, written by Lawrence Kasdan on a story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman, starring Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, John Reese davies Ronald Lacey, Denholm Elliott, and Alfred Molina. In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. When you say awesome powers, it's kind of like a sounds like saying Austin powers a little bit. Yeah, yeah, baby. It's radical. Yeah. All right. So here we are. Uh, we are. I've seen that one a few times. I've heard of it. Um, I'm going to go off what other people have told me about this movie. So we're two summers from Temple of Doom here. Mm-hmm. We are the we are the summer after Raiders came out. So this is like an encore run. For Raiders Lost Ark. Makes sense, right? Summer of Spielberg. I mean, yeah. he's producing Poltergeist. He's directing E.T. He's got E.T. Raiders back in theaters. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, and people would, I mean, it's a movie that if it's playing, you go see it. Like, you see, oh, Raiders, crap. Let's go. And it makes a great other option for the sold out movie. To go, well, I know I like this a lot, so... Oh, no! The Steven Spielberg movie is sold out. What should I go see? The other Steven Spielberg movie. Right. Uh, Raiders, of course, was this big revelation. It was like a... Raiders was like a confirmation, (laughs) uh, or a... How was it? Not confirmation, but um, just showing, like, George Lucas... For George Lucas, like he was onto something more than Star Wars in, t- in terms of capturing the cinematic zeitgeist, and also Spielberg capable of it too. Like these guys, like holy crap! Like where could they go wrong? Uh, at, with just that powerhouse of stuff. I mean, Steve Spielberg. We had Jaws, Close Encounters. 1941's a blip here because he comes back with Raiders and then ET. Um, Lucas, of course. Star Wars and then Empire and then it's just an affirmation. Like this movie's just like, wow, these guys know the movies. They love cool movies and they're making just great fun stuff, quality fun stuff to go see. Uh it's interesting to the extent that, you know, we always talk about how, you know, Jaws and Star Wars and you know gave rise to the modern blockbuster era. And here were the two Titans behind both of those movies offering another new blockbuster because mm-hmm. that, that's you know i talk about this a lot but you know the films that followed in the wake of jaws and star wars yeah they were blockbusters they were b movies with an a budget etc cetera, etc cetera, but they were original and or new to you pictures back to the future Raiders of the lost ark ghostbusters beverly hills cop uh rambo first blood bar 2 i guarantee most people who who went to see that in theaters on memorial day weekend had not read the first blood novel um, they might not have even seen First Blood, um, the movie, which comes out later this year, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of the difference between you know, the effect of Star Wars versus the effect of Batman. Batman comes out in 89, does its thing, and then everyone in Hollywood's like, okay, what intellectual property do we own from something else, a TV show, a video right. game, a play, that we can make into a movie? Um, At this point, it's, hey... Uh, I want to make one of this genre. Yes. 
Uh, um, you know, I like these this things about this old one, but I'm making a new one here. And to a certain extent, you know, what does Ghostbusters say for, you know, a conventional Harold Ramis, National Lampoon, Harvard comedy style comedy yeah. with really huge special effects? Yeah, that's what Ghostbusters is. It's the next step for that comedy group. Yeah. Like, that's all it is. It's like, okay, let's take these guys and put them in a haunted house, basically. Yes. I'm being simple here. And that's what I liked about Paul Feig's. Uh, Ghostbusters because he got that he's like this isn't about like this like it's not about the ghosts and stuff it's about taking who are four funny comedian slash comic actors and throw them in this these shenanigans that's that's the idea of Ghostbusters I don't care what anybody what what Ghostbusters meant to me as a kid when they made Ghostbusters this was the next Caddyshack where they were you know this is the next uh, Stripes this was that's what it's is in the line of of like drop them into the slobs versus snobs scenarios or you know just throw them into a genre or something that's what it is and yeah that's people made stuff based on like let's dig up this genre this was digging up the adventure movie which we hadn't really yeah I mean readers basically pulled the American action adventure, Hollywood action adventure movie out of like a 50 year slump. Yeah. I mean, save for maybe the James Bond films. I mean, offhand, I'd say Raise the Lost Ark was the best Hollywood action adventure film since Rush with Love. <laughs> maybe, yeah. You, know, you can say Goldfinger or Thunderball, whatever, but, you know, same difference. Um, and it really was. Spy Who Loved Me is pretty good, Scott. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. But pretty good. So is Moonraker. Yeah, but. <laughs> loves better <laughs> yes yes indeed but no and other than the james bond films i mean they're just you know can you think of the you know epic spectacular action adventure films of the that weren't you know spa- you know especially ones that weren't like sci-fi like you know, the apes or uh, star mm-hmm. wars right um this was a distinctly old school action adventure film you know if if Star Wars was what if we made, you know, Flash Gordon with modern, you know, groundbreaking special effects, right? And a certain seventies altruistic sensibility. Raiders was basically what if we did the old nineteen thirties adventure serials with all with a lot of money mm-hmm. and craftsmanship. And the I, the funny thing about Raiders is that to a certain extent, it was Steven Spielberg proving that he could actually come in on budget and on time. Yeah, Jaws was very successful. Close Encounters was very successful. 1941 was not all three films went wildly over budget yeah so spielberg you know raiders to a certain extent was you know i can bring a movie in on time and on budget which is ironic now because now you know even you know as recently you know back in the 90s where the jurassic park films were examples of of you know films that were expensive but they were on budget they were on time and they weren't the productions were not chaotic. You could tell where the money went. You know, they were heavily storyboarded. They were heavily structured. And, you know, there was a certain discipline, you know, compared to something like, you know, Speed 2 Cruise Control Summer 97. Yeah. And yeah, Raiders is, 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 it also does that str- that thing like Ghostbusters, where it's basically a movie for adults with an adult sensibility and certain adult content, but that is still very kid-friendly. Yeah. Same with Batman to a certain extent. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a slightly more complicated conversation, but you know, it's 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 it's, and it was the f- Raiders was the first movie, other than Jaws and Star Wars and Empire, to cross two hundred million domestic. And hell, Ghostbusters, and this is one reason why they kept trying to make it a franchise. That was the first movie that wasn't Spielberg Lucas to cross two hundred domestic, hmm. and. But no, I mean, we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark a hundred thousand times. Um, it is a film that is almost, you know, to a certain extent, it's all climax. You know, every action scene in the film would be the finale of any number of other films. Right. Um, but there is some variety in the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, it does the same dumb thing that we hated rise of Skywalker for, which is that at the end of the first act, it kills off one of its main characters. And then 10 minutes later, they say, "Never mind, They're fine. Yeah. Uh, which annoyed me when I was a kid. And I still don't like that. That's not. If it you know, was cut in a different way, then it'd be fine. But the way they present it is almost a slight cheat. 
It is a cheat. Absolutely. Because so, you think she's dead. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad they don't kill her because she's wonderful to have around the whole time. Yeah, oh and yeah, of course. It's the film's better off for having her have a bigger role. Probably just, I, yeah. I don't I don't like cheats like that. I never right. have. I, I didn't like it in Indiana Raised the Lost Dark. I don't like it in the Dark Knight, where for mm-hmm. 20 minutes you think Jim Gordon's dead. And I certainly didn't like it in The Rise of Skywalker. Right. Um it's just something that, you know, I've never liked. But whatever. You know, it's 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 the film still works. It has an unusually complex villain in Belloc who is not a monster. He's only a couple shades worse than Indiana Jones. Right. He's just working for monsters. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, to a certain extent, the film's morality is saying, you know, you get in with a pit of snakes, you're a snake, no matter yeah. what. You know, you work with Nazis, you're a Nazi. And the film certainly works as a certain, you know, historical revenge fantasy from Spielberg's point of view. You know, before he was older and wiser and like, oh, you know, we, you know, we need more complicated than just black and white Nazi villains or whatever. I mean, it's sometimes just, you know, the, the, the villains need to be just unrepentant assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and also this movie too, it's funny as hell. Like yeah. there are some, heli- like the coat hanger scene, all timer. So um, good. it's, it's, there's lots of macabre humor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I've always felt, I mean, I understand why Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom was controversial, why it was scary for kids, yada, yada, yada. But in terms of, I find the violence in Raiders to be far colder and more mercenary. Mm-hmm. It's, I would argue that it has less regard for human life than Temple of Doom does. That's not a criticism. It's just whatever. Yeah. And it's another film like, a Matrix Reloaded, for example, where its huge action climax occurs, you know, where there's still a half hour to go. Yeah. Where the film's climax is basically a conversation. Well, it's an a, 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 a optical effects extravaganza yes. is what they want to show off there. But it's also not what you're expecting. Like, yeah. the movie leads you to... And you know, that's the good thing about... That's George Lucas right there. Spielberg knows it, too, is don't give them what they're expecting. You know, go the other... and. And all the time now, we get what we're expecting. Like, it's rare that we get the ending like this, where, you know, just be sitting there and turn into a graphic horror thing. Every time we go to a Marvel movie, no matter how much they tell us it's different, it ends up being people shooting glow things at each other yeah. around or, you know, and, you know, to a certain extent, that's the nature of the genre. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's one yeah. reason I like The Dark Knight as much as I do, is it's one of the only genre appropriations that commits to the bit all the way to the end. Yeah, it does. Um, but whatever, that's for another. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our, it's our, very, it's 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 a very, you know, scary picture. Yeah, uh, it's quite graphic. I mean, it's it's. You know, I'm kind of shocked it got a PG, I assume, just because there's no boobs. Um, you know, I watched The Godfather recently when it was in Dolby. And, you know, in terms of violence, I mean, I can see how they almost got a PG with that. I would say Raiders and Godfather are about as equally violent in terms of on-screen carnage and mm-hmm. blood and gore and all that jazz. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm trying to think what to say that hasn't already been said about right, this a yeah, hundred thousand times over the last 40 years. And there's stuff like this movie is one that has actually been brought up, you know, on my, on my show when I, I do sort of a regular episode where I have a guest and they pick a, a, a favorite of theirs and stuff. And I always tell people to go for something more unique, interesting and stuff. But I, I turned down Raiders one time because I just... I don't, I'm not going to sit and say, but if there's an interesting angle to talk about Raiders, which here we are right now going over the summer of 83, 82, I'll talk about it. But I always want some interesting in to go to something that's already just countlessly talked about. And you don't need to hear my voice saying things you've already heard other voices say or my stumbling through it with my words be different. But like we know Raiders, we're up and down about it. I, I think. If Is it uh, your favorite of the series or do you prefer one of the other ones? I'm so with I, if someone tells me their favorite Indiana Jones film is one of the first three, I won't argue. I, I really because I think Temple of Doom has a lot of great stuff. I'm appreciating that one a lot more as I get older. Filmmaking wise, understanding what like Spielberg's like first musical is the Temple of Doom and that yeah. op- that huge opening number, which is just 
impressive as help. I don't think people understand what Kate Capshaw is going for and that she's actually terrific at what she's doing. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of good um, uh, romantic comedy stuff in that one, haunted house stuff. It's more than just the dark stuff that to it. Um, I know people get mad about the like, calling it racism. And so I'm like, there are bad guys among all races. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I, I'm not going to argue people feeling unfairly represented or something in that, but to me, like, I, 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 I just think like you, you're not. You can be bad guys. You can be good guys. I understand there's been an overload of people being bad guys, and I get where that's coming from. But I see them as just a other people sect of awful people doing this village. I, you know, they could be all white dudes doing it. Granted, they're not on the screen. Whatever. Not trying to dig myself a hole here. I'm just saying. Let me just say this: when even when I was a kid, I noticed the fact that at the end of the film, it's established that the young prince is being brainwashed, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, you know, the British and Indian army runs to the rescue and kills the rest of the bad guys. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not. You know, at the end of the day, I I don't have the burden of wondering if people are going to watch this film and think all of us are like this. Yeah. But again, even as a kid, it never. One thing is interesting about Double Doom. Well, two things is a, it's the only one that's not trying to ape raiders, yeah, and recapture the raiders' magic in terms exactly. of structure and whatever. And the other thing is, it's by default, it's the most conventional of the four of the four films. Yeah, in that it's the only one where he goes on a quest to save people mm-hmm. and procure an object that doesn't get lost at the end. Right. Yeah. And it ends with him rescuing hostages and fighting a bad guy in a fisticuff who then dies a conventional death. Yeah. You know, the other films, the three of them don't do that. They play a different game. Well, the minecart scene is amazing, too. Oh, yeah. The minecart scene is astonishing. Uh, and really, you know, it's, it's also a film that I don't think it's cold. Again, I think mm-hmm. Raiders is a nastier picture. But I do think it's Spielberg and Lucas with no greater goals other than just, you know, a filmmaker flex. Mm-hmm. That, and um, they were both going through divorces at the time. Too, yeah, they were so. very angry at the yeah. time. And, you, could, you know, it's a certain meanness. I mean, he but uh, he, he the character's named Willie for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So. I think Last Crusade is my favorite by default. I, that has usually I, just, been I think mine. it's the one that I find most emotionally compelling. Yeah. Um, I, and, you know, well, that's the first one I saw in the theater. I, summer of, me I, too. While we're doing Summer of 82, I've long talked about Summer of 89 made me who I am film. That's where that's where it hooked me, like where movies became part of a bigger part of my life with Batman, Last Crusade. And I remember Last Crusade was awesome. And it's super iconic. There's so much that you think of from Indiana Jones that does come from Last Crusade. And granted, it is, you know, another... Here's more Raiders, but the Raiders formula works, and yep. it. I think it the very worst matches it, and I I know there's the problem with the prologue, where oh, like the Ro- prologue. Rome happens in a day, but I think Spielberg realizes how dumb that is too. Um, but there's they've had a hard time matching what Karen Allen brought is what they want, but Connery gets there too like that's yeah. that's the thing like they bought they figured out somebody else to go with them why they never brought well they don't bring Karen Allen back because he's supposed to be James Bond James Bond yes. has a different woman in these movies every time and that's, that's kind of the idea because Spielberg wanted to make a James Bond they never let him make he never was brought on to make a James Bond so George is like let's just do our own James Bond dude and we have we're better for it Oh, absolutely. better for it. And, you know, Connery works in that place, and they, they changed the female dynamic to be a turn for everything. And Sean Connery's just wonderful in that movie and makes a lot of, and him and Indy's relationship and taking the hero down a notch without overtly being super parody or in this stupid folks, like we get in a lot of movies today. No, they're, they're never incompetent. Oh. You know, there's a certain you know, there's farce here and there, but they're 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 in fact, if anything, there are scenes where you know Henry Jones is shocked by his son's competence. Yeah, like oh, you just machine gun five people—that's horrifying. I didn't know you mm-hmm. did that kind of thing. As far as a prologue, I mean, 
even again, even when I was a kid, it was like, okay, Spielberg obviously wanted to just do a, you know, boy's life, Boy Scout adventure story. And this was his excuse. They were, they were also testing the waters for the young Indiana Jones Chronicles that would come out on TV um, not too long after that, which that was a big deal. You remember, uh, not to yeah. go off too real, but Harrison Ford's going to be on TV. I remember that episode. I some it. actors did not do TV back then, and it was a big yeah. deal if they showed up. And I taped it. Everybody was going to watch. Like Harrison Ford's going to be on TV. Like holy crap, it was a big damn deal. And I, I don't think anyone could understand that feeling anymore. Even people that live there, I think, probably take for granted. Like they don't remember that that was a huge deal. Like people who weren't interested in Indiana Jones or anything knew that. Major star Harrison Ford yeah. is going to be on television. It's going to be as Indiana Jones, as in the, Indiana you know, Jones. So, and this is you know a few what a few to several years after Last Crusade. Yep. There was you know they were always threatening to make a fourth one, but you right. know, you know I didn't believe it until they actually no. started doing it. Right? Yeah, I thought um, oh it's called Last Crusade. I thought that was yeah. a double thing. They rode off in the sunset. It seemed quite obvious. <laughs> movie movie series were allowed to end back then and you yeah. could keep up with them in in books that got published or comic books and then you could we could go on to new stuff and you could enjoy the old stuff and then they didn't have to make films that would just like people thought ruin their lives because it wasn't lived up to some you didn't have to force filmmakers and actors to go back to franchises they didn't really want to return to and, and have to make peace from the characters yeah so. You know, it's it's um because I mean I, I don't think Crystal Skull is a war crime, but it's clearly a situation where no one really wanted to be there at that moment telling that story. Right. Um which whatever, not the end of the world. Best of luck, James Mangold. Yeah, I mean I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah. <laughs> But that that's for another time. This is I, I keep thinking he's gonna Spielberg's gonna retire and then he you know makes he announces another project. Heck yeah. Hey, hey more hey if he could do what he wants. <laughs> well he's 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 about a decade younger than Ridley Scott, so game on. Decade young and he makes films that look hungrier and than most younger directors. So <laughs> his last two films, you know, West Side Story and Render Player One have been real, you know, get the hell off my young lawn, you whippersnappers kind of pictures. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Raiders of the Lost Ark came back to theaters. Joy to the world. Good movie. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Check it out sometime. I think you can find it places. NBC Sunday Night at the Movies returns following these messages. Thursday, Renko pursues a primate purse snatcher, and Perillo is forced to trust a former gang leader released from prison. Anyone that stands in his way is a dead man. Hill Street Blues. Now we'll move on to the top 10 TV ratings for this week. And coming in first place on CBS, it's MASH. Once again, number two, six, 60. Sorry. Number two is 60 Minutes on CBS. Number three, Fantasy Island. Number three, Fantasy Island on ABC. I wonder if they had like a big guest or something. That's crazy because it just it wasn't even in the top ten last week. Burt uh, Reynolds in Fantasy Island. <laughs> Ricardo Ricardo Maltobon was dominating the box office and uh, and the Nielsen's. Hell yeah! Uh, number four, Heart to Heart on ABC. No, why have they ever tried to like redo Heart to Heart? Nothing I'm aware of. Because that was a huge hit show back in the day. You'd think they'd be yes, like, it was. can we get like uh, Timothy Oliphant and uh, what, uh, Emily Deschanel? Be listening. Can we get Emily, Emily Deschanel to tell me the Oliphant do heart to heart again? <laughs> can we do that? I'll hear you. Yes. Uh, number five, Alice on CBS. Number six, Jefferson's on CBS. Moving on, on up. up. To the top ten. Uh, number, number seven is too close for comfort. ABC. Number eight, Scott and I's fave Hill Street Blues on NBC. Boo, boo, boo. Number nine. Be careful out there. Be careful. <laughs> uh, number nine, Three's Company on ABC, and rounding out the ten house calls on CBS. And uh, since we have a short week, we're going to go right into the Casey Kasem's top forty. Uh, the top 10 of the top 40. Counting down the week's hottest hits, and the countdown doesn't stop till we reach the top. Which, uh, number 10 is 
Caught up in you, staying at 10.38 special. Number nine, Tainted Love by Soft Cell hits in here. The top debuts in the top 10. Ooh, big fall here. Ebony and Ivory, Paul McCartney with Stevie Wonder dropping down from number three to number eight. Remember, this was number one for seven weeks. So like us, America was tired of it. It's number seven, Love's Been a Little Bit Hard on Me by Juice Newton. Number six, Let It Whip by the Daz Band. Number five, Eye of the Tiger, Climbing. Going to match Rocky here in the box office by Survivor. Number four, Asia, Heat of the Moment, Staying Put. Number three, Hurt So Good by John Cougar. That's jumping up. Number two, Rosanna by Toto. And again, number one, Don't You Want Me by The Human League. Some awesome, awesome songs hitting around our top ten. It happens inside the computer in a dimension man has never seen. Kevin Flynn, computer genius, is programmed into the world of the computer. Held prisoner in an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. Tron, an adventure inside the computer, rated PG. Coming soon to a theater near you. Coming around to Disney's big contribution to the summer with Tron. Directed by Steve Lisberger, he of Hot Pursuit, and I noticed has a special thanks guest. Uh, he doesn't have many credits, so he directed Hot Pursuit, a couple other rando things. Has a special thanks credit on Scanner Cop, the first straight one of these straight-to-video spin-off sequels of Scanners. Uh, he wrote the movie along with Bonnie McBird and Charles Haas, he of Gremlins 2 and Matinee, kind of works with Joe Dante. He's uncredited as a writer on here. Starring Jeff Bridges, David Warner, Cindy Morgan, and Bruce, uh, Bruce Boxleitner. A computer hacker is abducted into the digital world and forced to participate in gladiatorial games where his only chance of escape is the help of a heroic security program. This was a bomb for Disney, right? Yes and no. no. I mean, it did do $50 million on a 15 budget, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was seen as a disappointment. Um, they wanted Star Wars numbers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they wanted Star You're absolutely right. They wanted Star Wars numbers. And this was the latest attempt to replicate that. $33 million on the 17 budget. And, you know, the black hole didn't do it in 1979. That one only earned $36 million. And that was actually a pretty expensive movie, if I recall. Yeah. So, no, it's not like this was, you know, nobody lost their job over it. Nobody, as far as I know, and it wasn't a disaster. But, you know, it wasn't a particularly good movie. It didn't get particularly good reviews. It's not, you know, up to a point, it was mostly a curiosity. And if not for nostalgia, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's ironically, the same thing happened, you know, 35, whatever years later with Tron Legacy, where it wasn't a bomb. It made $400 million worldwide, but on a 170 budget with mixed reviews, mixed reception. And, you know, again, it wasn't a matter that it was a disaster, but it, it wasn't the next Avatar or the next Lord of the Rings or whatever they were trying to, you know, right. they were trying to sell it as that year's court appointed mega super duper fantasy picture. And there was an open opportunity for something to be the next thing at the time. And Disney yes. tried like, a couple times with John Carter and then, and Tron legacy. And they, they had pirates, but pirates was like done, but they'll so make they money. Yeah. Making <laughs> yeah. money. Well, but they had three films and they were yeah. massively successful. And I think there was always the assumption they were going to make another one eventually, but it just, it wasn't on a timetable like the, the first right. two sequels. Um, but yeah, they had a, a, you know, in, in 2010, 2000, yeah, 2010, they had, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland, which made a billion dollars, which I'll get to that in a second, but you know, and they had a bunch of would be fantasy franchises that they, they were chasing the boy audiences. Yeah, I mean they they were in it was in that period where they thought girls were less than, and if you were a cool you know studio you chased boys, so they lost a gajillion dollars on the Lone Ranger and uh, John Carter, Prince of Persia, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I mm-hmm. like, but whatever. Yeah, that's a cool you know, movie. 
Tron by default was the most, you know, it made 400 million, which is a hell of a lot more than John Carter and Lone Ranger did. Yeah. But it wasn't really until they started ripping off, you know, as I always say, it was not until they started trying to rip off Alice in Wonderland instead of Pirates of the Caribbean that Disney started to take over the industry in the way that they were. They ended up dominating from around 2015 to 2019. Yeah. But that's Tron Legacy. Yeah. Tron what, itself, what's your thoughts on Tron? In, entirely indifferent. You know, I've seen it yeah. a few times here and there over the years, and I am respectful of the technology. I am impressed by the visuals, but it really feels like a very generic fantasy picture. Hmm. Um, other than the fact that I know who Jeff Bridges is from later work, the hero is sort of a blank slate. Right. Same thing with the villain, you know, the light, you know, again, I know who David Warner is from other stuff, you know, the Omen, uh, you know, Batman the Animated Series, to be honest. Um, yeah, David Warner's not like a bit, because he, he'd be offered like Freddy Krueger in a couple years, yeah. and he would eventually, it wouldn't work out, but um, that's the kind of like work he would get offered. He's not like this prestige David Warner like we know now, but he was more of a, some people watched his, you know, British stuff, knew who he was, but like... He wasn't like a hot item. He's building up to that right now, but to, well, yeah. oh, David Warner, but right now he's just a good actor. And, and again, in the same way that when you made Tron Legacy, they cast Killian Murphy as a blink and you miss it cameo as right. that character's son, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be, you know, a, a as George Lucas called, you know, when they were talking, he was talking about the Star Wars people, a developing character, mm-hmm. somebody that was very small, but then if you got to make a sequel, he'd have a much bigger part. Matt Smith and Terminator Genesis. Or Genesis yes. Sega Genesis, whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's... I'm with you, Scott. Like everything is here for me to potentially love Tron. I, I think it's still a cool looking movie. It has a cool title. I admire what they're pulling off visually and stuff here, but I just have never like loved this movie. There's like stuff I love about things, but it's just it's bizarre. I just it's same with the sequel. I'm just like, eh, like stuff looks cool in it, and I feel like this is a movie I should like more, and I I don't. I'm I've tried. I've I've watched it multiple. I don't. I'll never hate having to return and give it a revisit but i'm i'm never it's usually for a purpose like i when i got disney plus and i was thinking of like random stuff to check out when it first came out i was like i showed my son tron because i'm like i bet tron's on here i wonder if we watched tron and tron legacy and then i was like eh, well i guess i still feel wildly average about these but i i hated tron legacy when i first saw it yeah. i mean i I joke that, you know, I, I hated it so much I considered retiring just because if this was the future of blockbusters, I wanted uh-huh. no part of it. Right. Of course, my today's standards is probably some things that are aspirational about it, but whatever. Um, well, it's so it's, weird, it's, too, because, like, Garrett Hedlund is the lead in that movie. Wildly, wildly unlikable. And then I see him in stuff like Inside Lewin Davis. I'm like, who? What? This it's guy a, was from Tron? Like, yeah, it's a classic example of trying to turn every handsome white guy into the next Tom Cruise, yeah. but casting them in, in one after another version of Legend over and over again. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's Liam Hemsworth, nepotism notwithstanding. You watch Independence Day Resurgence, you know, why the hell is this guy a star? He's mm-hmm. terrible. This role is terrible. Right. But you see him in like, isn't it romantic or the dressmaker? And it's like, oh, this, you know, when you let him play a character, he is a good actor. Mm-hmm. You know, Jai Courtney's the same way. Yeah. When they're not being forced to play generic action hero man, they have charisma. Allowed to have their accents. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, that, that's that's a, a longstanding issue. You know, you know, Taylor Kitsch, obviously, with John Carter and Battleship, plays, I would argue, very uncharismatic, generic, you know, leading man blockbuster hero characters. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that he got his big break by playing a more complicated, complex character in Friday Night Lights, right? Yeah, and he was quite good in um, yeah True Detective when he was on that yeah the, the se- that um, maligned second season. But he was he was good yeah, and th- that you know without saying that these people deserve second chances or whatever because you know there's plenty of non-white people that deserve first chances mm-hmm. first, but 
you know, I do think it's a two-folded problem. One, you're taking these people and you're you're trying to turn them into the next, you know, Hugh Jackman or whatever, but you're not giving them the kind of movies that allowed a Tom Cruise or a Kevin Costner or a William Hurt to break out in the first place. Right, right. And, I mean, they those are the movies you've got to take. Like, yeah. He, like, he can't, like, even if the script's bad, you got to take it, like... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I have slight sympathy because, you know, you get offered a lead role in a $200 million Peter Bird movie, you take it. Yeah. I mean, you're not all going to wind up Adam Drivers, where, yeah. That guy, I, I honestly don't think we see him in a big blockbuster franchise picture ever again. And that's good. <laughs> it, unless he wants to. Mm-hmm. Unless he um, wants to. But I think that guy is far interested in working with interesting people and directors and one day he's gonna make a little direct like directorial debut that was be like whoa whoa we didn't like did you notice who he was working with like <laughs> he's he basically learning. a modern day movie star in the era where movie stars basically don't exist exactly yeah because on paper he has tom cruise's career yeah but obviously the the the, the money isn't there the viewership isn't there um, and Robert Pattinson, to a certain extent, you know, it's it's yeah. with both of them. You know, you wonder, you know, why Pattinson and Stewart are still defined by the Twilight Saga? It's because nobody else saw any of their other stuff, right? Yeah. Um, which, whatever, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But yeah, Jeff, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Bridges fortunately survived Tron, mm-hmm. just like Michelle Pfeiffer survived Grease too. That's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, I. I I am at a loss of that much to say about it because it's to me it's such a nothing burger of a movie. Yeah, and it, I, I, I will say one nice thing, mm-hmm. which is that it's obviously Disney's attempt to, you know, have a Star Wars type film. Yeah, and unlike the ones that came out in 1979, The Black Hole and Paramount Star Trek Picture, it's not trying to riff on 2001: a Space Odyssey. No, no, it's actually trying to be a swap, you know, a Star Wars style swashbuckler. Right. And oddly enough, I watching it this time, I was like, oh, man, Ready Player One really cribbed from this thing a lot. Like all the all the 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 core blue, the skeleton of Ready Player One is Tron. Yeah. Thousand percent down to, you know, the people that run things, the the evil program guy, like all it's all there. And I, I don't I'm too dumb, I guess, to have noticed it right off the bat. I just don't think about Tron that much. So. <laughs> that much about I, so i'm just like oh yeah wow okay well that makes sense yeah the guy was cribbing a lot of stuff um yeah i just i remember always being amused like it had one of those clamshell vhs cases that disney always had it was always for animation but when there's a live action one in one of those and it was just always like jeff bridges with the woman standing there it was just like tron i'm like what the hell's tron and these people and the i guess it's video game-ish right um I don't know why the word Tron would just be like, yeah, video games. Maybe because it's um, short for like electronics or something. And but. growing up, I would see the video game at like many a pizzeria slash arcade. We have it in our boss battle games. Uh, it's in our mall. Uh, oh. You can pay 10 bucks and go at it on free play old arcade machines all you want. Uh, pinball and everything. And uh, from any era, but they have this one little hidden cove where you go in and it's got Tron, Star Wars, like all those old vector graphics games and stuff. I would live there if I had such a place near me. Yeah, we with the, we as a family went last weekend. Killed some time. <laughs> it was pretty we have a good time there. So, so yeah, Tron. It's uh, the movie that came out this weekend in July of nineteen eighty two. And how did it do at the box office, Scott? <laughs> Did it topple the E.T.? No, of course it didn't topple E.T. It didn't topple E.T. It did not. Uh, E.T. made $12.8 million, uh, a 0.2 percentage increase from its previous Friday to Sunday weekend, but obviously not the previous Wednesday to whatever they were tracking for July July 4th holiday weekend. Anyway, E.T. did 12.8. Um, in 1,398 theaters for $106.8 million after 31 days. So it cracked $100 million in a month, uh, which back then was very impressive. Um, Tron opened at number two in 1,091 theaters for a $4.76 million opening weekend. It would eventually top out at approximately $33 million domestic. Rocky Three is sticking around yeah. in the top three after seven weekends. 
uh, 4.45 million for a $79 million total. Uh, Firefox is fourth in weekend four. Firefox is a legit hit here. Yeah, it is. It's sticking. It's also sticking around. Uh, 3.6 million with 31 million over 24 days. Poltergeist, good old Poltergeist sticking around, coming back. Uh, 3.2, uh, weekend six for a $42.7 million total. Annie, 3.1, uh, 31 million so far. Star Trek 2 has 61 million after six weekends with a $2.7 million weekend. Blade Runner's got 2.5 for a $19 million 17 day total. Uh, the thing, one point nine million after, and eleven point five after seventeen days. Here's the, I want to talk about the thing for a sec. I've noticed it's pretty much staying solid here since its mm-hmm. debut. It's been in the same spot in the top ten. It's just lacking the big first weekend. Yes, if it would have had a big first weekend, it its staying power has been solid, but it just lacked the punch of the opening weekend. Uh, I agree. It's been because I've been like, oh, the thing, it's still an eighth, it's still an eight, it's a ninth, it's in seven. Like, it's really, it's it's hung, but it just didn't have a buffer of a good opening. Speaking of sticking around, Sword <laughs> and the Sorcerer still on 302 screens it's back in the for a $1.9 million 12th weekend. Jeez. I'm not going to say that's a record because I'm sure it wasn't, but it's damn impressive for 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, thirty-one point three million so far. No wonder Albert oh. Pune worked throughout the next two yeah. decades solid. He, you know, I, I, I don't want to benign his, ben, besmirch his talent, but he basically coasted off that one for a decade or so. It's Cyborg. Um, we had Van Damme's debut help. That's true. In there, I don't know if that was a hit or not. I'll have to look that up. It did. I um, mean, it, it launched a international action star, so it was <laughs> that's solid fair. enough. So. An author, author would make one point two four million for a nine point nine million dollar twenty four day total. And Porky's weekend seventeen crosses a hundred million dollars in weekend seventeen. Oh wow! Okay, with a one point one million dollar open or weekend on six hundred ninety six theaters. Amazing! Seventeen weekends. God, that's nuts. Porky's and Sword and the Sorcerer are just the craziest. I know a lot about Story of the Sorcerer now. When we started, we didn't, but then I got the 4K and had to review it and I watched a documentary and stuff. And it's a, it's an interesting tale. So they, with Sword and Sorcerer, which uh, we haven't really talked about, they knew, I, I said it beat Conan the Punch, but they knew Conan was coming and to get a movie done and out before it. So it was aware of Conan. And it, hey, you know what? They gross just as much as Conan. So. Yeah. Hey, but had the longer lasting, where's Conan in this top 10? It came out, this movie came out like a month and a half it's before it. Watching his tights. Yeah, it's planning a HBO release right now. It's so crazy. I, this is fascinating to me, this whole thing. This is why we're doing this. I'm just like fascinated by these, how this works uh, right now. Um, that, like Firefox, sticking around Rocky 3, just unstoppable. Poltergeist, Big player in this summer. It's the horror movie of the summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it flopped over. Like Star Trek Two was higher than it last the last weekend, and it jumped. Well, I, I think it sometimes happens, especially in these early you know early days where you don't have a ton of new releases every weekend. If something doesn't open well, you know the top. You know the, the there are spots available in the top ten. You know what? Tron probably took Star Trek's business. Probably. I'm gonna guess because. That movie was solid until this weekend. It dropped like four spots, I think. Um, but yeah, and I mean, ET has had its biggest three day weekend. Excuse me, its second biggest three day weekend in weekend five. And slight spoilers for next weekend. It's gonna, you know, have its again its second biggest three day weekend in weekend six. Uh, it opened with 11.8 to 12.6 weekend two, 13.7 weekend three, 12.7 in weekend four. Uh, it does 16.7 over the four day or the two, three, four, yeah, four day weekend uh, last weekend. And this weekend is 12.8. And then next weekend, slight spoiler, does $13 million in its six weekend of release. It's going to take total up to $129 million. It's going to take two icons in the same film to knock that sucker down. <laughs> you bet. Uh, but we'll get there. Um, Soon. 
But that'll that'll do it for this weekend, Scott. That was July 9th through eleventh. Uh, thanks for joining me as always. This is a short, another short one, but we managed to make the best of our time. Uh, before we sign out, let people know where they can keep up with you. Uh, uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth, Scott Mendelson. Google some variation thereof. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Braden4KUHD. Join us again next week as Woody Allen and Kenny Rogers take a shot at the box office crown, but. They wind up undone by Sean Young's second film of the summer. So to all that and more, but till then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>